True Crime Fix is a podcast with adult themes and graphic descriptions of crime which may not be considered suitable for all ages. Please use your discretion when listening. All research has been conducted using material in the public domain and some opinions may not be that of the author or the host. Please remember that all victims are someone's loved one and all episodes are recorded in the utmost respect of their memory. You're listening to the True Crime Base Podcast with your host, Steve. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to the 48th episode of the True Crime Fix podcast. If you've enjoyed the show so far, then please make sure that you've subscribed on your chosen podcast directory, and all the new episodes will automatically download for you. Firstly, I would like to welcome Jay, Linda, Farida, and Madeline to the True Crime Fix Patreon family. My apologies that I'm an episode late. Episode 47 had already been recorded ahead of time, but I'm eternally grateful for any assistance you can give me during these difficult times. If you would like to join Jay, Linda, Farida and Madeline, then please visit www.patreon.com forward slash truecrimefixpodcast. I would also like to take this opportunity to say hi to all the new listeners that have joined this season. Thank you for giving me this opportunity to allow me to tell these victims' stories to you. So at the moment, with everything that's going on in the world, my day job is getting much busier. This means that the scheduled deep dive stories are having to be pushed back a bit. Thank you for your patience, and trust me, it'll be well worth it in the end. This week is a case that I initially said that I would never cover purely and simply because the case when I heard about it made me sick to my stomach. It's not because of what happened to the victim, although that is bad enough, and if this was a plot to a movie, then you'd think it was a bit far-fetched. It is because the perpetrator relished in the fame he believed the murder brought him. The issue is that there's so many times that someone failed her, whether it be her upbringing, the people who she trusted, or the services that she was involved in later in her life. It is another case of domestic violence to add to the already far too long list of cases like this I have covered. Warning, this episode contains foetocide, so may not be suitable for all listeners. Ladies and gentlemen, Without further ado, this is your True Crime Fix. I'm your host Steve, and this episode has been written in memory of Jaden Parkinson. Jaden Rihanna Parkinson was born on the 26th of September 1996 in Ashford in Kent. She was born to mother Samantha and father Paul Parkinson. Jaden was the youngest child of the family who moved to Oxford when she was five years old. Jaden's upbringing was not the easiest 
she experienced a number of separations and reconciliations of her parents, and in 2005, Jaden's father moved with Jaden and her sister to live in the northwest of England. Following Jaden's parents' divorce, there were a significant number of disputes about who Jaden and her sister should be living with. In 2005, a residence order was made in the family courts on behalf of their father, meaning that he had custody of Jaden and her sister. Not long after that order was made, allegations were made by both Jaden's mother and one of Jaden's siblings that Paul was violent and that he was leaving the children unsupervised. At this time, due to the issues at home, Jaden was also experienced problems at school and she was permanently excluded from her primary school. In mid-2010, both Jaden and one of her siblings returned to Oxfordshire to live with their mother in the town of Digcot. Digcot is a quiet town most famous for its railway museum and formerly for its power station, which was demolished in 2014. It is 15 miles northwest of the town of Reading and 10 miles south of the city of Oxford. The idea was to move away from one hostile environment and move on with her life. Unfortunately though, this was not the case. Jaden's mother, Samantha, had serious problems herself, including in a relationship with her new partner. Oxfordshire Children's Social Care became involved with Jaden's family in late 2010. This was because of a notification from the local police of an incident of domestic abuse in which Samantha's partner had assaulted her in front of Jaden. Jaden was at that point living with her mother and attending a local secondary school, Didcot Girls School. Social services became aware of the issues that Jaden was having. In 2010, she attempted suicide due to the significant difficulties at home. The authorities tried to intervene and a multi-agency meeting took place in December 2010 at the school. A multi-agency meeting is where all of the departments, often council, landlord, police and education departments, who have all got an interest in the particular person's welfare, meet to discuss a plan of action. The focus of this meeting was to help Jaden and her mother with all the identified concerns. These included accommodation, given Samantha's recent experience of domestic abuse, and Jaden's school attendance and behaviour. The following day, the family court made a new residence order in favour of Jaden's mother, which was supported by the local authority, and her case was transferred to a new social worker. Okay, heads up. To explain how we got to where we did, I need to explain a lot of things from Jaden's care point of view, so many times things might get a little bit confusing. Within weeks of the residence order being made by court, the personal difficulties for Jaden at home began again. Jaden's mother had reconciled with her partner, but there were still frequent separations, 
stemming from the hostile environment. Tensions rose between Jaden, her mother and her mother's partner. According to the social services report, Samantha struggled with drug and mental health problems frequently. This impacted Jaden, as she was often having to take on a support role rather than having her own needs met. Jaden continued to experience a range of problems at school, with poor attendance and frequent exclusions, which her mother was finding difficult to deal with. Some support was already in place for Jaden's mother, including a place on the Living with a Teenager course, which was provided by Oxfordshire Council. In February 2011, Jaden asked to be moved into foster care due to the continuing problems in the relationship between Jaden, Samantha and her partner. This was rejected by the council and they continued to work on Samantha and Jaden's relationship. The pattern of difficulties at home and school continued over the subsequent months. There were periods when Jaden was missing from both school and home, and with crises often dominating both the family and professionals' time. Jaden's frequent absence from school and the limited hours she was able to attend due to the behavioural problems continued to escalate tensions at home. Jaden asked again to go into foster care, on one occasion threatening to kill herself or go missing if this didn't happen. Samantha, at this time, also talked about Jaden going into care for a period of respite. On two occasions in March 2011, Jaden's mother reported her missing to the police, although she subsequently returned. Social services attempted to continue to support Jaden, but she was at times verbally abusive and confrontational with the professionals. Oxfordshire social workers continued their approach to try and work with Jaden and Samantha. Attempts were made to find a shorter-term foster placement for Jaden, but when this was unsuccessful, the family's social worker contacted one of Jaden's sisters who lived in the north of England. Arrangements were made for Jaden to stay with her for a fortnight during the school holidays. This appeared to be a successful placement, with Jaden settling in well and no identified problems from her sister's perspective. When she returned to Oxfordshire, Jaden appeared to be settling back into the home and educational life. In July 2011, however, Jaden rang the emergency services, saying that she had been assaulted by her mother. When the police officers attended the home, they were satisfied that there was no lawful assault. At the end of August, Jaden's mother took Jaden to the GP, concerned that she was suicidal. Jaden described her unhappiness at school, self-harming and her use of cannabis. At the beginning of the new school year in September, Jaden's attendance was again poor and this was linked in part to her taking time off to care for her mother. In January 2013, Jaden's mother left the family home after an argument 
leaving her partner with Jaden. This resulted in a further confrontation between these two. The police were called by a worker at a hostel run by the social housing provider Home Group. They were told about an emerging situation by a friend of Jaden's and were concerned by what they had heard and that Jaden might have been at risk. Police attended Jaden's address and took her to the home group hostel to be with her friend who was a resident there. During this time, Jaden had started a relationship with a man by the name of Ben Blakely. Ben Blakely was 20 years old, three and a half years older than Jaden, and lived in the neighbouring town of Reading. He was living in supported accommodation and still received support from a Leaving Care personal advisor from social services. Leaving Care does exactly what it says on the tin. When a person has been in the care system in the UK, a social worker works in conjunction with the housing provider to ensure that the person can maintain their tenancy. Ben Blakely had a lot of admirable qualities about him, and for the record I say this tongue-in-cheek. Ben Blakely had been banned from a support accommodation project in which he had previously lived. This was due to various breaches of his tenancy, including drug use and violence. He was also subject to a community punishment with a requirement to perform unpaid work, known formally as community service, following a conviction for a public order offence in December 2010, which involved him shouting abuse at his social worker in the street. Thinking about the way that Jaden had been brought up, Surrounded by a hostile home environment, I'm not sure whether she may have believed that this type of behaviour was normal. Not long after the pair started seeing each other, Jaden spoke to her support worker about Blakely and said that he had assaulted her, spat at her and taken her mobile phone. Jaden said that she was scared of him and did not feel safe living in the area. Eventually, it was agreed that Jaden would go temporarily to stay with her sister again and she was provided the money for travel. Jaden stayed with her sister and family for two weeks at the beginning of February 2013. During her stay, social services closed the case on the presumption that Jaden was going to remain with her sister full-time. The review of the social services involvement is hard to read at times and the relationship that Jaden had with Ben Blakely makes you think. Following the two-week stay with her sister, Jaden returned to Oxfordshire. In March 2013, Jaden was taken to hospital by ambulance with Blakely, complaining of stomach pains following an attempted overdose two days prior. It was noted at the hospital that Jaden had probably not intended to die and that she had also self-harmed by cutting herself. An interview with the home group supported accommodation was arranged in April 2013 in an attempt to get Jaden some permanent accommodation. Unfortunately though, 
Jaden left the interview because the project required a safety plan for her, which would have excluded Blakely from the premises. Regardless of everything he had done to her, she was still loyal to him. At the end of April 2013, Jaden's mother called the police after Jaden had rung her in distress. She was with Blakely and was asking her mother if she could come to her. Concerned, her mother called the police who immediately contacted Jaden on her mobile. She told the police she was fine and had left without Blakely. She would not tell the police where she was, however. In June 2013, Jaden reported to the police that Blakely had stolen her phone by ripping it out of her clothing while threatening her. She provided a statement to the police when they visited. The following day, however, she withdrew her consent to use it and didn't want to press charges. Jaden continued to be effectively homeless over the summer of 2013, with the family and care professionals often not knowing where she was. Samantha told both Jaden and the family social worker that she did not want Jaden to stay with her while she was with Blakely. Throughout all this time, Jaden maintained frequent, if irregular, contact with the school inclusion mentor, who in turn kept the family social worker informed. The job of the inclusion mentor is to work with students who are at risk of exclusion from a particular school. On at least one occasion, Blakely had deleted all of Jaden's contacts from her phone, effectively deleting her support network. The school inclusion mentor could often tell by the way that Jaden responded to her whether Blakely was listening to the calls. In June 2013, Jaden contacted the school inclusion mentor and arranged to meet her. The school inclusion mentor took her some clothing and was concerned at her weight loss and how dishevelled she looked. After separating from Blakely when Jaden had reported him to the police over the phone incident, she was now again in a relationship with him. They were both sleeping on sofas, with friends and sometimes in doorways to shops. The social inclusion mentor again offered to find her some accommodation, but Jaden refused as she wanted to stay with Blakely. The school inclusion mentor provided her with some food and Jaden promised to stay in touch. On the 17th of June 2013, Jaden phoned the family social worker from a payphone. She was homeless, had no money and no longer had her mobile phone. The family social worker organised for her to go to the social services offices in Reading. As there was no accommodation for her locally, a travel warrant was arranged for Jaden. This is basically a free ticket issued by local authorities for her to go to her sisters outside of the area. Jaden then rang the school inclusion mentor very distressed, 
too frightened to go to her sister's on her own. The school inclusion mentor contacted the police concerned about her welfare, but due to an error by the call taker, the police went to the wrong location in an attempt to find her. That night, Jaden slept in the block of flats outside her mother's front door and the following day contacted the school inclusion mentor who met her at the school. Jaden could not be persuaded to go to her sisters. Attempts continued over the summer of 2013 to find Jaden accommodation and persuade her to accept it. Jaden's mother would only allow her to return home if she was not in a relationship with Blakely. Jaden would not accept anything that meant her of separating from Blakely. The family social worker organised an assessment for a place at a supported accommodation provided by Bournemouth Church Housing Association. The location of that property, though, was not disclosed. Bournemouth Church's Housing Association, or BCHA, was founded in 1968 by a number of local churches to try and make a practical contribution to the local housing problems. Since then, BCHA has grown and is a major provider of a diverse range of housing support and learning services for socially excluded people. Although it's based in Bournemouth, they currently deliver services across the south of England, from Plymouth in Devon to Reading in Berkshire. However, the social worker's priority was on arranging a placement for Jaden with her sister. Jaden's sister and family did agree that she could come and stay with them, and Jaden went in August. In mid-September 2013, Jaden contacted Childline, who arranged for her to speak to Oxfordshire Children's Social Care. Jaden wanted to return to Oxfordshire, but had no money or means to do so, following an argument with her sister. Jaden's sister rang the family social worker three days later and informed him that Jaden had returned to Reading, having left significant phone bills after talking regularly to Blakely. She was very concerned that Jaden was at risk from Blakely and would still have been willing to provide her with a home. On the 2nd of October 2013, Blakely was named as a suspect following the theft of a suitcase from a train. He was sentenced to 12 months community service for this offence at Reading Magistrates Court on the 25th of November. On the 22nd of October, Blakely was arrested following a serious assault at a train station on another young person who was known to him. He was given police bail. At the beginning of November, Jaden presented as homeless and was accommodated to a bed and breakfast overnight on an emergency basis. Shortly after, Jaden was assessed at BCHA's supported housing and provided a place at the One Foot Forward project in Ifley Road in Oxford. Jaden was allocated a support worker by the association who met with her the following day. 
Jaden told her that she had been in an abusive relationship with Blakely for 18 months, but that had now ended. However, Blakely was still controlling her behaviour and had indecent images of her on his phone, which he was threatening to post online. Jaden continued to talk about Blakely's violence while she was at the hostel, including particularly disturbing violence committed against previous partners, but more on this later. The support worker put together a risk management plan including police to be called if Blakely attended or made threats to Jaden, police to be contacted if Jaden did not return to her accommodation within 24 hours. Two days later, Jaden returned to the hostel in the evening and told her new support worker that she had had an argument with Blakely over talking to another male resident and that he had thrown her room key into the river. The following day, the police visited having had a call from Jaden's mother, concerned about her daughter. Both the police officers and staff spoke to Jaden, who assured them that she was just tired. Her mother contacted the police again later that day, after Jaden texted her to say that she wanted to die. Police contacted Jaden on her phone. She refused to tell him where she was, but agreed to meet later at the estate office. Officers attended as arranged, and again she assured them that she was just tired. Three days later, another resident raised concerns about Jaden, as she had not been out of her room. Jaden described highly controlling behaviour by Blakely, including not allowing her to see her family, not allowing her to leave her room, even to go to the toilet or use the shower, which she had to do at his grandmother's, not to speak to anyone connected with the housing association. She also told them that she believed he was getting his information from other residents about her and talked about his previous violence, including strangling her. Within a couple of days, Jaden reported to BCHA staff that Blakely had taken her phone and said that if she reported him to the police, he would post indecent images of her on Facebook. Staff often called the police on her behalf, but Jaden told them not to worry as it was now over. At the end of November, BCHA staff again contacted the police with Jaden's agreement and reported that following the ending of the relationship the previous week, Blakely had threatened to publish indecent images of Jaden on social media. Jaden provided a statement to the police regarding the indecent images and the police informed her that they would arrest him. On the same day, Blakely was reported by the parent of a young person he was now in a relationship with, following threatening behaviour to the young woman and her family. No further action was taken by the attending officers. At the beginning of December, Jaden told staff that she had taken a pregnancy test which was positive. 
she believed Blakely was the father. Jaden had told Blakely and he had become nasty. A staff member also heard Jaden on the phone to Blakely, saying, What do you mean you are going to throw me off of a bridge? I'm pregnant. On the 3rd of December 2013, Jaden told staff at the supported accommodation that she believed she was pregnant and she was going out to meet Blakely, who was the father of her unborn child. Staff unsuccessfully attempted to persuade her not to go out, and when shortly after 1am she had not returned to the hostel, they contacted the police and reported her missing. The police were still trying to locate Blakely for the offence of possessing indecent images. They finally succeeded in doing so on the day after Jaden was reported missing. Blakely was bailed by the police pending forensic analysis of his phone. The officers investigating were not aware that Jaden had been reported missing at the time that the decision had been made. The key thing from the start was that two police officers were allocated and sent to the BCHA hostel and assessed Jaden as a medium risk and attempts began to locate her predominantly by checking potential addresses and speaking to Blakely. There were gaps in the way that the information was recorded by the two officers and no discussion with a supervisor took place. Neither did they make any contact with children's social care. As a result, the direct threat to harm made by Blakely was not properly highlighted and was in fact lost for the next few days. First thing in the morning, BCHA staff also informed the family social worker that Jaden had been reported to the police as missing. The family social worker is reported to have made a dismissive remark in relation to the seriousness of this. As I have explained throughout this podcast, Jaden going missing was a common occurrence. In fact, it wasn't until seven days after she went missing that the police started to take the disappearance seriously. The police decided to go to the media with Jaden's disappearance. The last sighting of Jaden at her hostel was at 1pm. Police issued a CCTV image of her leaving Digcott Parkway railway station at 4.27pm. She had earlier caught a train from Oxford. Not only was Didcot where her mum was, but it was also a direct train link with Reading where Blakely was. A strategy discussion took place between the Police Child Protection Referral Manager, the Family Social Worker and the Social Work Team Manager. A reminder that this is seven days after Jaden had been reported missing. It was agreed that children's social care would contact Jaden's family for further information to see if she had made contact with them. Later the same day, a support worker from the supported accommodation spoke to the police and provided further significant information about Blakely's behaviour, including the level of control exerted over Jaden and the abusive behaviour towards previous girlfriends. 
the person only ever referred to as BCHA3 stated that she believed something serious had happened to Jaden and that Blakely could have killed her. This information was forwarded to the detective inspector who reviewed the missing persons file and stated that he was concerned about Jaden's welfare. Another detective inspector also reviewed the investigation and requested that outstanding actions be followed up quickly. On the 11th of December, eight days after Jaden had been reported missing, Thames Valley Police raised her risk to high and this required further immediate actions to be taken as a result. The following day, a silver command structure was set up in line with the force's policy for high-risk missing person investigations. Later that day, Blakely was arrested on suspicion of kidnapping Jaden, but was subsequently released. Thames Valley Police held a press conference where it revealed that about 50 detectives were involved in the search. After receiving information from a member of the public, a search was being concentrated on a rural area between the village of Upton and Digcock, around a disused railway line. Detective Chief Superintendent Andy Murray, who was leading the investigation, said officers were keen to hear from anyone who was in the area between the evening of the 8th of December and the morning of the 9th of December. There was an incident there on the Sunday night leading into the Monday morning, he said. If you saw anything suspicious, please call us. We would like to hear from you. Information we have received has led us to concentrate our search in that area. Detective Chief Superintendent Murray stressed the investigation was still a live missing persons inquiry. Following this appeal and receiving more information from the public, a further announcement was made. Detective Chief Superintendent Andy Murray said the police were focusing on trying to find a man who was seen with a large suitcase in a field in the small village of Upton in Oxfordshire in the early hours of Monday the 9th of December. The suitcase was large, it was heavy, it was difficult to manage and the man was having difficulty removing that suitcase from the area, he said. Detective Chief Superintendent Murray said the same man was seen in nearby Digcot about half an hour later. He was described as white, aged about 20, around 5 foot 7 inches tall, with a slim or medium build and dark hair. He was wearing light coloured jeans. The case on wheels that he was pulling was described as being made of a light-coloured canvas, possibly pale blue. Commander Superintendent Christian Bunt said, At this stage, it is critical time in our investigation into the disappearance of Jaden Parkinson. There are currently a number of search scenes in Digcock and the surrounding locality. We appreciate the public's cooperation 
and understanding while this takes place. Due to the nature of the police searches taking place, we would request that the public refrain from organising their own search activity at this stage to avoid the risk of jeopardising the investigation. Blakely was arrested again on the 13th of December 2013 and was charged with the murder of Jaden. There was still no sign of Jaden's body and Blakely was not talking. On the 16th of December, a 17-year-old was arrested for assisting an offender. The breakthrough came when a member of the public rang to say 17-year-old Jake Blakely had disposed of some clothes for his brother. Jake was arrested and faced with a murder charge, he told the officers what had happened. After the phone call, which had been witnessed by the hostel staff, Jaden had agreed to meet Blakely and the couple were caught on camera passing through Didcot Station. He had somehow managed to convince Jaden to go to a field on the outskirts of Upton. He then took Jaden to a remote barn, surrounded by farmland, where he beat her and strangled her before stashing her body under brambles and going home to Reading. Although the police quickly deduced that Jaden had died in the barn, an extensive search involving police dogs and RAF helicopters failed to find the body. On December the 9th, six days after her death, Blakely had borrowed a blue suitcase from his gran and returned to the crime scene. He bundled the body into the case and managed to get a taxi driver to unknowingly transport her body in the suitcase, including assisting him to put her in the car boot. Then, with the help of his brother Jake, they buried Jaden in the All Saints Church in Didcot, where his uncle was buried. Not just in the same churchyard, on the same plot directly above him. They then called a taxi to take him home. On the 18th of December, 15 days after Jaden had been reported missing, Thames Valley Police finally recovered her body. On the 19th of December 2013, the post-mortem was conducted by Dr. Kula. Dr. Kula said the cause of death was consistent with pressure to the neck and that there must have been some degree of reasonable force to cause the marks and bruises on her body. Working with another doctor, they found congested blood vessels in the brain, which Dr. Kula explained was one of the signs when pressure to the neck has occurred. They also found bleeding on the surface of the brain, which Dr. Kula said that the trauma to her head wouldn't explain how Jaden had died. He also said that he thought some of the bruising was consistent with punching. Cannabis was also found in Jaden's system. Due to the extent of the injuries, the cause of death was ruled as inconclusive. 
a memorial service was held in memory of Jaden Parkinson on the 24th of January 2014. The service was led by the Reverend Karen Beck, with the address given by the Bishop of Dorchester, the Right Reverend Colin Fletcher. Students from Diggot Girls School, where Jaden was a pupil, sang during the service with tributes given by a number of her friends. At the end of the service, white balloons were released in memory of Jaden. Jaden's funeral took place on the 8th of February 2014. About 200 friends and family attended the service at St Martin's Church in Cheriton, near to her former hometown of Folkestone in Kent. The family wanted to bury Jaden in Kent, fearing reprisals from Blakely's family if she was buried in Oxfordshire. Jaden was carried into the church in a bright purple coffin. The service was led by Reverend David Duverney. The Reverend Karen Beck from the All Saints Church where Jaden was found attended the funeral. She said, Her mum and sister made two very moving tributes to her during the service. It was very emotional, obviously, because of the tragic circumstances of her death, but it went very well. The trial was scheduled for June 2014. Before that, though, there was a further tragedy. The whole ordeal was too much for Jaden's dad. Paul Parkinson had a heart attack on Thursday the 12th of June after meeting up with the family to prepare for the court case. Paul Parkinson passed away before the killer of his daughter could be brought to justice. Ben Lee Blakely appeared at Oxford Crown Court charged with the murder of Jaden as well as perverting the course of justice. Judge Patrick Eccles presided. Matthew Walsh QC and Richard Latham QC represented the Crown Prosecution Service. Richard Benson QC represented Blakely. Blakely pled guilty to manslaughter, but not guilty to murder. He also pled guilty to perverting the cause of justice. The court heard about Blakely's temperament from some of his ex-partners. Katie Gale had dated him between 2009 and 2012. She said the relationship started out fine, but he would become violent when jealous and hit her probably every other week. She said, he punched me, kicked me in the head, bit my face. To teach me, He would cling on to my cheeks and leave marks. When Miss Gale confronted him at his Didcot home, he punched and kicked her in the head and back before attempting to strangle her, she said. She told the court, I thought he was actually going to kill me. He squeezed so hard that the blood vessels in my face came to the surface. I felt like I was fainting. Jurors heard about how she went to hospital after the alleged attack and reported an assault to the police 
but did not make a formal complaint because she did not want to get him into trouble. The court heard that after her cat went missing, Blakely told her that he had stabbed it to death. He kept a samurai sword and a large knife with a curved blade in his Reading flat, she said. Richard Latham QC, prosecuting, asked Miss Gale, I ask you this question not because I'm being critical, but why did you put up with it? She replied, because I loved him. Their relationship ended in October 2012, and by then he was seeing another woman, who Mr Latham claimed Blakely was also violent towards. The jury heard how Blakely had begun a relationship with 16-year-old Kirsty Penford in April 2007. Mr Latham said her pregnancy made him upset. He accused her of being unfaithful. When she was seven months pregnant, he threw her down the stairs in the flat. He threatened to stab her in the stomach to kill the baby. The court heard the teenager had given birth to a healthy baby in 2008. The next day, Blakely lost control and police had to be called when he marched into the ward and began to wheel the cot away with the baby inside. Mr Latham added, the relationship was punctuated by outbursts of rage. He was violent to her. He only allowed her to wear makeup to disguise the bruises on her face. Hannah Ryan, a support worker at One Foot Forward Hostel, where Jaden was living in Oxford, was the first person to give evidence. She described Jaden as quite timid and said Blakely had told the teenager that she could not leave her room even to shower or use the bathroom. Miss Ryan said, She said he had beaten her in the past and strangled her in the past. She was left with no friends at all. She said Ben was the cause. Miss Ryan said she saw Jaden on the 24th of November after she had split up with Blakely and said she was just really happy. Later in the trial, the court heard from forensic archaeologist Dr Carl Harrison, who carried out the excavation of Alan Kennedy's grave at All Saints Church in Didcot. He told jurors at Oxford Crown Court how he removed about 20 centimetres of soil and could clearly see spade marks, which he described as being made with some force. At a depth of 38 centimetres from the surface, I started to notice the beginnings of some pale skin starting to show through, he said. Dr Harrison said that after Jaden's body had been placed in the grave, the excavated soil was put back on top and the excess compacted around the sides. He concluded, she appeared to have been subjected to a fairly hasty disposal asked how long it would have taken to refill the grave with soil he replied anyone who has dug a hole in their back garden 
knows that it's very tiring. I would think it was about an hour's work rather than minutes to bury the body. The court had already heard that Blakely was obsessive and controlling of Jaden and had threatened to post intimate naked videos and photos of her on Facebook after they had split up, hoping that she would kill herself as a result. The jury also heard from taxi driver Adrian Stovell, who unwittingly helped Blakely lift a heavy suitcase allegedly containing the body of Jaden into the boot of his Toyota Prius. Mr Stovell, who worked for Go Green Taxis in Didcot, had picked him up in the village of Upton at around 2am on December the 9th. He told me that he had just been thrown out by his girlfriend and had managed to chuck his belongings in the suitcase and that he was going to drag it all the way to Didcot, Mr Stovell said. Annabelle Studley, who was the care worker at Thornbury House in Kidlington, told Oxford Crown Court Blakely had been resident there because of his problems at home. Miss Studley said she had overheard a conversation between Blakely and another resident. Ben said if he ever had to get rid of a body, he would put it in a family member's grave, she said. I challenged what he said and asked why. He explained, it was because no one would be able to look in the grave, because it would be very difficult to tell body from body. Things just get mulled up, DNA the like. The DNA evidence would be mixed up. The jury also heard from Jaden's sister, Shardy George, who said that the last time that she had seen her alive, she had tried to persuade her not to go back to Blakely. Miss George told the court that he would often make vulgar comments about intimate parts of Jaden's body and she recalled her sister telling her about times he was violent towards her. At the end of the evidence, a note was passed from Blakely in the dock to be read out to the court. In it, he apologised to Jaden's family for everything that had happened. Miss George interrupted the reading of the note by shouting no towards the dock and several members of Jaden's family became upset and left the courtroom. Giving evidence, Blakely said, I deserve a death sentence for what I've done. He had told the court how he had dug two shallow graves, one in the countryside close to where he had killed Jaden and the second in the grave of his uncle, Alan Kennedy, at All Saints Church in Didcot. Richard Latham QC prosecuting said, when Blakely buried Jaden for the first time, her body would have been stiff. He said, there came a time when you had to manhandle her into the hole the two of you had dug. Mr Latham asked Blakely how he was able to get Jaden, who was five foot six inches tall, into a suitcase less than three feet in length. Blakely said, There was no nice way of doing what I was going to do. There was no way of doing things respectfully. Mr Latham also told Blakely he was as cool as a cucumber when he booked the taxi to take the suitcase to All Saints Church.
Blakely replied. I had to act normal. Swearing a number of times throughout his testimony, he also told the court how the events haunt him to this day. He said, I'm responsible for all of this. That night is like a video in my head and I see it and it doesn't fade away. Giving evidence for the first time, Blakely's brother Jake, who helped Blakely, said he had no idea he was burying Jaden. Ben said he was going to bury some weapons, he told the court. At the time, I didn't put two and two together, but now that I think about it, if I said no, I would have just been told to do it anyway. He described Blakely as a scary person, but did not think he killed Jaden. Martin Steen, representing Jake, asked, Did you have any idea that Jaden might have been in that hole that you dug? He replied, No, I would have gone to the police. The teenager said that he was told it was to tidy their uncle's grave for Christmas. He said it was evil to dig in a graveyard, so we have to do it at night, and I didn't know anything about it, so I went along with it. I thought we were digging about an inch and put down some new stones, and the next day Ben was going to take me to Abingdon to get a headstone. One thing I just want to bring your attention to is Blakely's attitude on remand. He was laughing and jovial when he allegedly made the comment about the death of Jaden whilst being held at HMP Bullingdon in Oxfordshire. He told a prison nurse that he was a celebrity after the killing and wanted to watch himself on the TV news. On the 25th of July 2014, Ben Blakely was found guilty of Jaden's murder. Jaden's family said in a statement, We will never be able to find an ounce of forgiveness for the evil that murdered Jaden and then concealed her body in such a cold, calculated and callous manner. For us as a family, today is not the final chapter in this tragedy. We will never be able to celebrate birthdays, Easter or Christmas with Jaden, and we will never get to see Jaden grow up, get married and have children. This is our life sentence. It's now time for Ben Blakely to start his. They praised his three former girlfriends who gave evidence during the trial and said he was a sick and twisted mind. As Blakely was sentenced, see you in hell was shouted from the gallery. Judge Eccles said during his summing up, Ben Blakely, you have been convicted by a jury of the offence of murder. On the 3rd of December 2013, you took Jaden Parkinson, a complicated but loving and vulnerable 17-year-old girl, into open country near Upton, and in the dark of an early winter's evening, you murdered her by strangulation. There is only one sentence for this offence, and it is life imprisonment. I also have to sentence you on count two of the indictment for the offence of doing acts tending and intended to pervert the course of justice. 
To this offence, you have pleaded guilty on the basis that you buried the body of Jaden Parkinson in the graveyard at All Saints Church in Digcot to prevent the police from discovering her whereabouts. There are, however, in my judgment, two matters which require a significant increase on that starting point. The first is the violent nature of your relationship with Jaden, a vulnerable young person, and the second is your conduct after you had killed her, in particular the heartless and distressing way of which you disposed and concealed her body. I am satisfied by the evidence given at your trial that you were both physically and emotionally abusive towards Jaden. By your own candid admission, you were unreasonably jealous during your relationship and unfairly suspected Jaden of being unfaithful when she was not. You dominated and controlled her everyday life by demanding that she should have no contact with other young men. You removed her phone so that she could not contact others. And when she was at the hostel at one foot forward, you demanded that she stayed in her room, even to the extent of forbidding her for a while from using the toilet, with the result that she had to urinate in milk bottles. There is evidence that satisfies me that there were occasions when you argued with Jaden, you assaulted her with slaps, punches, kicks, stamps and bites, and there were dangerous attacks upon Jaden when you squeezed her neck with enough force to leave marks. In a fit of jealous pique, when you heard that she had been intimate with another young man, you deliberately sought to humiliate her by threatening to upload private and explicit images of her onto the internet. Yet, like so many victims of domestic violence, Jaden was infatuated by you, her violent abuser, and found it difficult to separate emotionally from you. She may not have been a perfect young woman, but you deliberately and selfishly encouraged her emotional dependence on you by manipulating her feelings through fear and neediness. At length, in November 2013, Jaden Parkinson, with the help of the support staff at One Foot Forward, found the willpower to end her relationship with you, and there is clear evidence that she became much happier and more confident when she had taken that decision and was looking forward to a new and better life. Unfortunately, she discovered that she was pregnant and that you were the father, but being a decent young woman, she wished to inform you of the fact and offer you the chance in due course to see your child. I am satisfied on all the evidence that I have heard that she was in fact pregnant with your child, but you utterly refused to believe her, and I am also satisfied that on the 3rd of December, Jaden only went to meet you against the advice of the staff at the hostel in order to persuade you of the truth of her condition. You then bullied her emotionally into denying her own pregnancy and you manipulated her feelings so that she felt she had no other choice but to go with you to Digcot 
and then into the fields where she met her end. At the time, you were, in my judgement, consumed with anger, having found out that Jaden had been intimate with another young man after she had broken off her relationship with you. There, you strangled her to death in a jealous rage, and in doing so, gave no thought to the possibility that she might indeed have been carrying your child. I turn now to the way that you conducted yourself after killing Jaden Parkinson. To every reasonable inquiry by police officers and others about the disappearance of Jaden, you responded with foul-mouthed abuse in which you created a web of lies about where she might be, accompanied by obscene imprecations that you did not care where she was and that she meant nothing to you. It required a heart of stone to keep up that pretense, and a heart of stone as well to deal with her body the way you did. I accept your evidence and that of your brother Jake, that you first concealed her body in a ditch close to the place where she was killed. It is clear that you later decided to move her body, and to a limited extent I accept that you began to have feelings of guilt about where you had buried her. What, however, is shocking to all who have had anything to do with the police investigation and subsequent trial is the knowledge that in the early hours of the morning of the 9th of December 2013, you returned to the ditch and dug up Jaden's body. You then crammed the mortal remains of poor Jaden into a suitcase and having prepared a false story to explain your actions, persuaded an unwitting taxi driver to help you transport her body to All Saints Church in Digcot. There, with the assistance of your younger brother, you dug a grave for Jaden over the interred body of your uncle Alan, and before dawn of that day, you tipped Jaden into the grave with her legs folded behind and tucked into her underwear and covered her up. Though in your twisted mind you may possibly have thought that the graveyard was a better place for Jaden to be buried than a ditch in a field, there was no hint of respect or remorse in this hasty interment and I'm convinced that your primary purpose was to prevent anyone else from knowing what had happened to Jaden. Jaden's burial in this way is not only shocking for all that have listened to this evidence, but it was and always will be an intensely distressing memory for her family. Her poor father passed away just before the trial and he must have been haunted before he died, the thought of what you had done to his daughter. I have read and heard the victim personal statements written by Jaden's mother and sister and express my appreciation of the moving way in which their grief and pain has been described. In addition to the distress experienced by Jaden's family, it should not, in my view, be overlooked that in concealing her body in a grave in a churchyard, you have also caused the priest in charge and the parishioners whose relatives lay at rest to be upset 
at the sacrilege done to the memory of those buried there. Ben Blakely, on count one of the indictment, you'll be sentenced to life imprisonment with a minimum term of 20 years, less the number of days on remand. A figure that will be calculated administratively. On count two, you'll be sentenced to a term of eight years imprisonment concurrent. The existing community orders are revoked. So what has happened in the years following the sentencing? A serious case review took place into the way that the support services and the police handled Jaden's support. The way that the police and the councils responded to the disappearance was fundamentally flawed, the report said. Several failures were highlighted in the serious case review and domestic homicide review into her death. Following a complaint from Jaden's mum, Samantha, the Independent Police Complaints Commission investigated Thames Valley Police's involvement. Failure to record information before her death meant that she had not been treated as a high priority when she went missing, the IPCC watchdog said. Thames Valley Police said it would act on the lessons learnt. The report said while the force could not have prevented her tragic death, it also failed to allocate enough staff to follow up earlier inquiries about Jaden. It was nearly a week before Jaden was identified as a high risk. IPCC Associate Commissioner Guido Liguri said, Jaden was clearly vulnerable when she came to the police's attention a number of times prior to her death. If information about these interactions had been correctly recorded on police systems, Jaden would have been treated as high priority when she later went missing. The force has been urged by the IPCC to improve the recording of the information on the force's computer systems. On the 26th of September 2014, Samantha should have been cradling her newborn grandchild in her arms and celebrating her daughter's 18th birthday. Instead, she held a party to raise funds for victims of domestic abuse in her daughter's memory. When Jaden was alive, I promised to take her to a festival on her 18th birthday, Samantha said to the Bournemouth Echo. Obviously, that's not going to happen so I decided to throw a birthday party to remember her. I'm still heartbroken. I try to get up and do normal things like everybody else, but to me, my life stopped the day he took my daughter. Jake Blakely was sentenced to three years for perverting the course of justice in March 2015 for his part in the burial of Jaden. On April the 15th, 2015, a memorial garden for Jaden was opened in Digcot. Volunteers created the garden on donated land close to where Jaden's body was found in All Saints Church. It was opened by Mick Quinn, founding member of the band Supergrass, who were from Oxford. The garden was built with the help of volunteers 
from employment charity Aspire and planted with some of Jaden's favourite flowers and shrubs. So that's it for this week. Please remember if you enjoy the show or want to know more, please follow us on Twitter at True Crime Fix Pod. That's at True Crime Fix Pod on Twitter. The podcast also has a Facebook page, True Crime Fix Podcast, but there's also a fan page, True Crime Fix Discussion. I'm thoroughly enjoying interacting with everyone on there, and this is where I post the majority of the information on the week's cases. Also a reminder that the podcast is on Patreon, so please visit www.patreon.com forward slash true crime fix podcast. I also have an Instagram account, so search true crime fix. If you have any suggestions or feedback for the show, please contact me at true crime fix podcast at gmail.com. That's true crime fix podcast at gmail.com. Until next time, stay safe, look after each other, and live life to the fullest, because you never know who or what might be coming around the next corner. Take care, everyone. <laughs>